Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Hey, good morning, New Covenant. What a blessing it was to have the Durkins up here and to get to dedicate little Emma. And it made me think back to the days when my girls were little. They're not so little anymore. In fact, we just brought our 19-year-old home from Grand Canyon University yesterday. So it's so cool to have her home. And uh, I bring her up because the month before she was born, she was born November of 2003, In October of 2003, our family experienced the first of a couple devastating wildfires on our family. Wildfire ripped through our hometown and burned down some good portions of our house and a lot of stuff that was in it. And I remember as we're going through the items that burned up, um, just hoping and praying, man, I hope this never happens again. Well, in April of 2007, our second was born, and six months later, again in October, but this of 2007, one of the biggest wildfires we've ever had in California happened, called the Witch Creek Fire. Started four miles from our house, not a lot of time to evacuate, so I had my wife and both the girls, so McKenna not quite four, Kaylin six months old, my wife, they evacuate uh, to another town, and myself and a few other pastors stayed behind our church at the time in San Diego, it was all concrete buildings surrounded by dirt, so it was a safe place that we knew people could come to. So I got to crawl on top of the building, and we're watching this fire blow through. And at the time in October in San Diego, we get what's called Santa Ana winds, and they're blowing through at about 50 miles an hour sustained. So the fire's moving pretty fast, but the fire created its own weather. So we got to see what you'd call like a fire tornado or a fire vortex blow through. And then in creating its own weather, it would cause winds to gust up to 100 to 110 miles an hour. So it was a literal firestorm that we're watching blow through our town. Most of what was in our house and much of our home uh, burned down. And the moral of the story is the shops stop having babies or your house will keep burning down. <laughs> so we stopped it too. Actually, no, there's, there's much to be learned from that that actually points to the tribulation, the seven-year tribulation we're going to take a look at in Revelation chapter 6. In fact, I'm going to show you how what happened with those fires really ties into what's going to happen in the tribulation. Um, those fires are actually just a microcosm of what's going to happen upon the entire earth during the time of the seven-year tribulation. Last week, we dove into Why? Why would God use such devastating events that we're about to read about again in Revelation chapter 6? And we looked at five things. Number one, it was to prove his power. And I'll tell you what, while I was watching these fires blow through on top of our church building, man, the power of God was seen. He is mighty and he is definitely powerful. The second thing that we saw is that it prepared Israel to meet Jesus when he comes the second time. God can use devastation to prepare people to meet him. In fact, it's oftentimes when we're going through really tough stuff that we're most likely to listen to the gospel and hear God speak. The third thing that we saw is that God's going to use the tribulation to punish sinners. Eventually, his patience is going to run out. God has been gracious and merciful for a long time, and eventually he's going to say, enough is enough. The fourth thing that we saw is that he's going to use the tribulation to show Satan's true character. It is amazing how much devastation Satan has brought 
with his ideologies and his philosophies upon mankind, and yet most of mankind has still refused to turn and worship Jesus instead. And the last thing that we saw is that God is going to use this as a great time to provide salvation for many, many people. Again, it's interesting that usually more people come to know Christ in the midst of crisis than in the midst of riches and prosperity. And so God is going to use that in great ways. With that being said, we are about to dive into Revelation 6 again, and this time we're going to shift from the why of the tribulation to the what. What is going to happen during this seven-year tribulation? Now, in chapter 6, we're going to read about these four horsemen of the apocalypse that are going to come, and there's been some wacky stuff out there. If you haven't seen it, there's a brand new movie out with Dave Bautista. He's a wrestler who is now living like an actor who should really just stay with wrestling. But they, they made a movie, and he's supposedly one of these four horsemen of the new apocalypse that comes and tells his family, unless they sacrifice one of their family members, all these devastations are going to come upon mankind. I haven't watched it yet, but I'd be interested to see what kind of sensationalism they come up with. There have been other wacky, weird interpretations of Revelation chapter 6. What we're going to do here at New Covenant is we are going to tell you what we can know from Scripture, The awesome thing about studying scripture is that oftentimes scripture will interpret itself for us, and we've also got actual history that we can refer back to. The things that we don't know, we will just leave it at we don't know, and we may not know until we get to heaven to be with the Lord, and we got to be okay with not knowing some things. Do you know that God's really big? Do you know there's a lot of things about him that we don't know, and that we won't get to know this side of heaven, and that's okay. But with that being said, with the great God that we serve, the king that he is, would you mind standing in honor of him? And then we'll read Revelation 6, 1 through 17. And then when I'm done, you can just plop back down. Revelation 6, beginning in verse 1. Now I watched when the lamb opened one of the seven seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, come. And I looked and behold, a white horse and its rider had a bow and a crown was given to him. And he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine, with pestilence, and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth. The moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. 
calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of the wrath has come, and who can stand? Gang, you can have a seat. Thank you. The one overarching theme that we looked at last week, and it's the same theme for this week, is that in his time and in his way, God will righteously judge the world. God is finally again going to say enough is enough and he will judge the entire world. Now before we dive into this verse by verse, I just want to make sure that we have our bearings straight up to Revelation chapter 6. If you'll remember in chapter 1, we're told that for those that study this book and then heed it, there's a promise of blessing that is guaranteed. What a great reason to study the book of Revelation. I don't know about you, but I'm excited to be blessed by the Lord. I am praying, I'm hoping that you have sensed that you're being blessed at this point as we study through the book of Revelation. The next two chapters are seven letters to seven actual literal churches. And in those letters, Jesus tells those churches, here's what you're doing well, keep doing it. New covenant, there are certain things that we're doing well, let's keep doing it. But then he also tells those seven churches, at least five of the seven, here are some things that you need to stop doing so I don't have to spank you. New Covenant, there may be some things that we need to stop doing. And we just need to be okay with God saying, hey, you know what? Knock that off. There are some things that you need to get shaped up. In Revelation 4 and 5, we get ushered into heaven. And we get get to take a look at the greatest worship service that's ever been had as they gather around the throne. And we get a little glimpse of what you and I get to do when we get to heaven. Man, I can't wait to get there. Many people are wondering, what is my purpose? Why do I exist? What am I on planet Earth for? And to keep it simple, kind of like we sang this morning in one of our worship songs, it's not that complicated. We are here to bring God glory and honor in everything that we say and do. Because before we know it, we're going to be in heaven with the Lord. And all that's going to matter is what we ultimately did for Jesus. Because we're going to gather around his throne. We're going to worship him. We're going to serve him. No, it's not going to be boring. Just wait until we get to Revelation 20 when we take a look at the millennium. And then Revelation 21 and 22 when we take a look at the eternal state is going to be anything but boring. Okay, we're not there yet. So before we get there... What's going to happen on earth with this tribulation? Here's what we see in the first eight verses. Jesus is going to sovereignly judge the world. Sovereignly is a big churchy word. What does that mean? It means that he's in charge of all things. Regardless of how things go right now, Jesus is still in charge. Did you know that nothing takes him by surprise? Do you know that the work of the enemy, the work of his demonic forces, the work of evil people in our society, none of that takes Jesus by surprise? He doesn't ever look at what's going on and go, oh my goodness, I never saw that coming. What do I do next? He already knew exactly what he was going to do with it. Now let's start to take a look at Revelation 6 and break it down in chunks. Remember some crazy, wacky ideas about these four horsemen. Let's just take a look at what we do know. Let's let Scripture interpret itself for us, and we'll begin to unpack who these horsemen are. So it starts in verses 1 and 2. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals... And I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, come. And I looked and behold a white horse and its rider had a bow and a crown was given to him and he came out conquering and to conquer. Let's first note that there's this voice like thunder. In scripture, if we go back even all the way to the Old Testament, this is always symbolic of a coming storm of judgment. 
In fact, the very first time that God ever speaks with a thunderous voice is in Exodus chapter 9, verse 23. What started happening in Exodus chapter 9? It was the first of ten plagues that were going to be poured out upon Egypt because they thought that they were God instead of God Almighty. And God lets them know, oh, this is not where you want to be. In fact, a storm is coming. The second thing that we see is that this first horse, which is white, white always symbolizes strength and victory in ancient times, which is why a king would ride into town on a white steed or a white horse. We also know that this rider is most likely the Antichrist. While we don't know for certainty, we can again let Scripture speak to this a little bit. It says that he's wearing a crown. In the Greek, that word for crown is stephanos, which means a victor's crown. This goes right along with what we read in all three chapters of 2 Thessalonians when Paul writes about the Antichrist, that he is a man that is going to be given authority and victory for a brief period of time. I want you to hear another word. He is given his victory and authority for a brief period of time. God allows him for a little while to do some conquering. Why does he let evil conquer for a while? Because he can use even the most evil, wicked people in the world to bring about his purposes. One of the most evil people that existed in all of human history was a guy by the, the name of Adolf Hitler. He exterminated millions of God's chosen people. And yet when Hitler got brought down, what happened shortly after the time of Nazi Germany and Hitler? Well, what happened in May of 1948? The Jews moved back into their homeland unheard of that a people group that had been completely decimated and moved from their homeland actually returns as an established people group again and they become a nation all over again. Is God in control? Oh, you better believe it. Well, here's the second horseman. Look at verses three and four. When he opened, I'm sorry. Well, yeah, when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come, and out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another and he was given a great sword. The Antichrist shows up. Notice he has a bow but no arrows. So he's actually going to come and he's going to persuade. That's how he's going to bring about his rule. He's not going to start off killing people. He's going to be one who's going to bring some peace in the midst of absolute chaos. But that's not going to last long. The second horseman is going to be unleashed. And red is typically symbolic of large-scale bloodshed. Currently, as of right now, we have approximately 1.2 billion Muslims that live on the planet. And if you study the Quran for what it actually says, once you get past about the 30th surah, or what would be their chapters, it becomes extremely clear that a man, in order to inherit his 70 virgin wives and to go into paradise with Allah, has to engage in what is called jihad. Jihad is another name for holy war, which means that you have to kill people that are not bowing their knee to Allah, which means that just right there, there's going to be some large-scale bloodshed that is going to be upon the earth. Then on top of all of that, there are going to be multiple other people killing each other for multiple other reasons. There's also going to be this man of lawlessness that's talked about again in 2 Thessalonians. That's the Antichrist who again is going to start off peaceful, but eventually if you don't bow down and worship him, it's going to be literally hell to pay, and you're going to pay it with your life. Now, the path has been paved in our society perfectly for the man of lawlessness. 
Think about that term for a moment, lawlessness. We now live in a society that says there really shouldn't be any law. Every man should be able to decide and every woman should be able to decide and every child should be able to decide for themselves what they think is right and wrong. We are now living in a time where if a man decides he doesn't want to be a man, that he could change that. If a little girl decides she doesn't want to be a little girl anymore, she can change that. And yet what we read in Scripture is that Scripture says God is the one who has the patent on his creation. He decides what a man is. He decides what a woman is. He decides what a marriage is. He decides what a marriage is not. He decides what a human being is, which from what we see in the book of Psalms and multiple other people, places in Scripture, that little person inside of mama's womb is a person, is a human being with all 23 pairs of chromosomes present to be a human being at the moment of conception, regardless of what mankind says. That's what our God says. He's the one that we worship and we follow. Yet we've got this horseman symbolized by red who comes and, and promotes absolute massacre and bloodshed. That has already started. It's just going to get worse when the tribulation rolls around. Look with me, if you would, at the third seal. It's in verses 5 and 6. It says, when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. And I looked and behold a black horse and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine. Black in Scripture, such as in places like Exodus and in the book of Lamentations, oftentimes represents famine, great starvation. And so this rider on a black horse is going to come and make it almost impossible for people to have food and to eat. In fact, what we're told is that there is going to be a quart of wheat for a denarius. That's going to be a whole day's worth of work for one person to have a little bit of this barley that's talked about. That word for wheat there is the barley that's talked about, and that really is just food that's given to an animal that has very little to no nutritional value whatsoever. That means a man's going to have to work all day for one person in his family to be able to have some barley that has no nutritional value. Now listen, again, I'm not playing doomsday prophet. I don't know when Jesus is coming again. I don't know what's going to happen. But have you noticed that there is a massive inflation in the cost of food right now? More and more people are getting to the point where they have to make a choice to either have a home where they pay rent or a mortgage or have food. That is, that is where we are going right now paving the way perfectly for this man of lawlessness called the Antichrist to rise up and say, hey, I'll take care of you. All you've got to do is just take this mark on your wrist or on your forehead, and I'll make sure that you've got everything that you need. Do you see how we're moving closer and closer into that time right now? Scary stuff in one way, not so scary in another, because if you know Jesus, he is totally in control. None of this is surprising him. Verses 7 and 8, we've got the fourth uh, living creature. It says this, When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death. And Hades followed him, and they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. There's approximately 8 billion people on the planet right now. This is telling us that about a fourth of those will be killed. That's 2 billion lives that will be lost. This pale horse in the Greek, the word for pale is chloros, which literally means ashen 
or like a sickly green. It's the color of a recently died corpse. And this rider is told, you can go out, and whether by sword or by gun or by bomb or by bioweapon or by nuclear weapon or by widespread salvation or by ravaging disease or by attack from the animal kingdom, you're being given authority to take out a fourth, two billion people on the planet. It's not going to be a pretty sight, but let that spur us on to share the gospel with as many people as possible. All right. We're 20 minutes in and you're going, this has been totally depressing. Good. Here's your glimpse of hope. Are you ready? Look at verses 9 through 11. I love how in the midst even of judgment, even in the midst of distress, the Lord always throws in there, here's where the hope lies. And it's always in a person. It's always in Jesus. But listen to this in verses 9 and 10. Verses 9, 10, and 11 tell us this. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Here's the second thing that we see from this passage of Scripture, Jesus will judiciously avenge his people. He is going to take care of all of the evil that's been happening. Just in these three verses, we really could do a whole sermon. There's five things I'm going to point out to you. They're not in your notes. If you don't get them all, don't worry. You can go back and watch this all over again. But five things that we see. Number one, G, or John sees these souls that trusted Jesus underneath God's altar. That really points us back to the Old Testament practice of priests that would go and perform sacrifices of these animals and then they would put the blood at the base of the altar. Ultimately, this is telling us that these martyrs were sacrifices that pleased the Lord and they are still very much alive. Did you notice that? They died during the tribulation. They were killed, but they are very much alive. I love what the great... D.L. Moody once said, if you don't know who Dwight Moody is, one of the greatest theologians of our time, one of the greatest teachers of our time, he said, one day you're going to read in the obituaries that Dwight L. Moody has died. He said, the day that you read that, don't you believe it, because on that day I am more alive than I've ever been before. Think about that for a moment. The moment that we die and this soul is separated from our body, we are actually more alive than we've ever been before. Death is not the end for a believer. It's just the beginning of our time of eternity with the Lord Jesus. These souls please the Lord. Secondly, we see that these martyrs were killed for the same reason that John got exiled to Patmos. What was it? Their testimony. They stood for the Lord no matter what. I'm going to show you, by the way, how these five things are going to teach us some great lessons. Here's the third. These martyrs were seeking divine justice. Jesus, we died for you. Are you going to do anything about it? And what does he tell them? Yes. You just need to hang in there just a little bit longer. Fourth thing is God told them that justice was coming. As I just mentioned, just wait. Just wait a little bit longer. And the fifth thing that we see is that their martyrdom, their death, it didn't hinder God's plans at all. He knew exactly what he was doing. So what are the lessons for us today? First and foremost, we're supposed to be sacrifices that are pleasing to God. I'll tell you what, if I had to die for Jesus today, or if you had to die for Jesus today, the moment that you stand before him, you wouldn't regret it at all, going, man, I sure wish I was back on planet Earth. 
I promise you. That's a promise I can make because Scripture says it. It's not coming from me. The second thing is we are supposed to stand for Jesus no matter what. Gang, let me ask you, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as believers in the Lord, are you willing to stand for Jesus no matter what? If the government comes at us and says, it's illegal for you to talk about Jesus, it's illegal, it's now considered hate speech for you to say that marriage is only for one man and for one woman. It's illegal for you to say that a woman doesn't have a right to choose to, to be done with her baby. It's illegal for you to say that Jesus is the only way to heaven because that's now considered hate speech. If that came our way, would you be a body of believers that says, no matter what, I stand for Jesus? If I've got to go to jail, I'm going to go to jail for Jesus. If I have got to go to the stake, I'm going to go to the stake for Jesus. If I'm going to go to the electric chair, I'm going to do it for Jesus. Would we be willing to go there? Something for us to be praying about and thinking about. Here's the fourth thing. Will we be patient while we wait for Jesus to vindicate our testimony of him? Will we be patient in the waiting? And the last thing is, will we be people that know no matter what happens to us, God will use it for his glory and for our good. No matter what society does to us, God will use it for his glory, and he's going to use it for our good. Do we believe that? Do we honestly believe that regardless of what gets taken away, whether it be our finances, our homes, our cars, our life, do we honestly believe that God can use it for his glory and for his good? If that weren't a rhetorical question, what would you all say? Do we honestly believe that? Well, let's take a look at the next thing. In verses 12 through 17, we see that Jesus is going to radically alter his creation. It says, when he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, the moon became uh, like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? There is at least six different ways that we see that Jesus is going to radically alter creation during the time of the opening of these six seals. First, there's going to be a great earthquake. I believe it's because of that great earthquake that the sun is going to become like black, probably from much of the debris from, these great, from this great earthquake. The moon is going to become like blood, again, probably from particles that are in the air. Meteorites are apparently going to fall to the earth, and they're going to destroy tons of structures as well as people. The sky is going to look like it's coming apart. And again, a little bit of speculation, but I think it's going to be because the atmosphere is going to be greatly affected by much of what's going to go up into the air. And then we see that mountains and islands are actually going to crumble into the sea and most likely take a lot of people with them when these great earthquakes as well as tsunamis take place on our planet. This is going to be a time of horror. And yet here's what absolutely blows me away about all of this. When you get to the end of it, instead of people crying out to Jesus, what do they cry out to? Instead of crying out to the creator, they cry out to creation. Hide us. We are trying to hide ourselves in the caves and among the rocks. Does this not at all sound like the very first book of the Bible in Genesis when Adam and Eve sin? And what do they do? Instead of falling down on their knees and begging God to forgive them, they try to hide 
playing hide-and-go-seek with God Almighty is a bad idea. You will lose every single time. God knows right where you're at. And the same thing happens here. Maybe if we can just hide from Jesus, if we can just hide from the Lamb, then maybe the wrath won't come upon us. Man, that sounds so much like today. Despite the trials, despite the tribulation, despite all the tragedy that people face, they still refuse to cry out to Jesus. They still refuse to cry out to their Creator. And instead, we bow down to the gods of man-made science. We bow down to the gods of self. And we bow down to self-made gods. And in the midst of all of that, Jesus is still pursuing us. And He's still trying to reach us. If you have yet to give your life to the Creator of the universe, if you have yet to give your life to Jesus, I would encourage you to do so today. Not out of a sense of emotion, not out of a sense of religious duty, but because a biblical worldview is the only one that makes sense. The Bible is the only one that makes sense of how all things came into existence. The Bible is the only one that makes sense as to why we have all the issues in the world that we have today with this thing that we call sin. The Bible is the only one that provides a remedy, and that remedy is found in one person, which again, if I could be really exclusive and really politically incorrect with you all for just a moment, did you know that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life, and the only hope that we have, which now means that every other God, every other philosophy, and every other ideology is false, and it's leading people to a place that they are not wanting to end up, but they don't even know it? which means that you and I need to sound the alarm. A fire is coming, that firestorm, something way worse than a firestorm and a fire vortex is coming. Are we loving people enough to tell them about it? And yet, unfortunately, we have got way too many in the church today that have said, you know what, I don't want to be unloving by making people upset and telling them that what they believe is false or that it's wrong. Listen, if you knew a fire was coming and it was going to burn down the house and everybody in it, what would you do to get people out of the house? probably anything necessary to get them out. Is this meant to scare you? Yes, it should. I told you my babies were born in 2003, 2007. When they were young, and even today as teenagers, they will tell me, Dad, when you get upset and you raise your voice, it's scary. Good. Do we not understand that our kids should have a healthy fear of mom and dad? Because if they don't, they fly off the handle and do whatever in the world they want. And then that leads them to a place where they end up not wanting to be, and then they discover it later. Look, if I'm a good parent, I'm going to tell my kids not just what they want to hear and not just be their friend, I'm going to be their dad. I am so glad that God gave us Scripture and that He is our dad who will discipline His wayward children so that we follow after Him. But unfortunately, there are a lot a lot here just in Albuquerque that aren't listening to our Father and what He has to say. So we now have an obligation and the blessing of getting to go out and tell people just how much God has in store for them and the plan that He has for them. If they would bow their knee to the Lord Jesus. Again, very controversial though, but we're saying that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. He is the only one. Well, listen, if that's not true, then stop following Jesus because he lied. But I'll tell you what, from everything that we see in Scripture, from everything that we see in human history, Jesus didn't lie. 
He told us exactly who he is, how he made us, why he made us, what's gone wrong after he made us, how it can be fixed, and what you and I are going to get to experience when we get to heaven someday. Why would we want, not want to share that with everybody that we know? Amen? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we do come before you and we confess that you are the King of kings, you are the Lord of lords, you are the one who sits on the throne, you are the one who reigns and rules, and we ask that you would forgive us when we try to usurp your authority. Lord, I'm so thankful for brothers and sisters that are sitting in this room that love you, that have trusted you. And Lord, I ask that as we go out, that we would be bold in sharing the good news of who you are, but we would also do it seasoned with grace and with mercy, knowing that the folks that we're coming in contact with aren't the enemy, but they are victims of the enemy. And Lord, would you help us to sound that alarm that they are victims of an enemy that is hell-bent on their destruction and their death. And so may we share the good news of the one who came to bring them life and to bring them life abundantly. Lord Jesus, we are thankful that when we didn't deserve it, you left your throne room in heaven. You came to your creation. You were beaten, you were tortured, and then you were murdered, not because of anything that you had done, but because of our sin. And then, Lord, we are so thankful that three days later we get to celebrate that you rose again from the dead, that death has no hold on you, that evil has no victory. And Lord, we are so thankful that we can cry out just like the Apostle Paul did in 1 Corinthians 15, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Because, Lord, you defeated it. And Lord Jesus, it's in your mighty name that we pray together. Amen. Gang, before you take off, a couple of reminders. This coming Wednesday is actually the first Wednesday of May already. So we are going to fire back up what we call equip courses, which we're super excited about. We're going to be studying through a book called The New Answers Book, where we're going to dive into why we can know without a doubt that God exists, how science actually points to that, that our God had no problem speaking the universe into existence in six literal days, and how that really shapes our entire worldview. We will continue through that and multiple other books for the course of about a year, so you will just be Bible scholars and theologians by the time you are done. Either that or your brain will be mush and we'll be overwhelmed together. But I'm looking forward to that. Wednesday nights, our junior hires and high schoolers continue to meet together. Pray for them as they are going through some stuff and answers in Genesis uh, and growing together. We're super excited about that. Keep praying for our kiddos. You heard about these announcements, but please pray hard for VBS because it's oftentimes when we get a lot of kids that don't know Jesus yet that trust him because they hear the good news of the gospel message. That's a huge big deal. And pray for our kids as they go to camp. I only reiterate all of these because I want you to remember all of them in prayer as we do this together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, all that to be said, our vision as a church is to treasure Jesus above all else. The whole reason that we do what we do, whether it be VBS or whether it be our junior high and high school camp or whether it be Wednesday night equip courses, it's not just to do stuff. It's because we want to develop people that treasure Jesus above all else. And how do we get to the point of treasuring Jesus above all else? Well, that's where our mission comes in. We get to know Jesus and then we go out and make him known. I'm praying for you all this week that Sunday is not the end of your worship, it's just the catalyst in the beginning, that you wake up tomorrow morning and you can't wait to get to know Jesus better so you can go out and you can make him known. Amen? Does Albuquerque need Jesus? Absolutely. So right now, get up, go get caffeine, get wired for Jesus, and go tell people about him right now. All right, have a good week. We'll see you next week. This concludes today's message. 
We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. Have a great week.